got a mind of its own this morning. Which team are you on? The question posed by today's author of today's reading may be, essential, may be the essential question of our times. We are witnessing the demise of democracy, rampant violence in our schools and even our Friday night football games, guns that are as easy to buy as granola, the near end of civil discourse, and caged immigrants separated from their caged kids. Does anyone remember the Statue of Liberty? She proclaims, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. One gun store owner in Tulsa this week bragged on the six o'clock news that once he put his AK-15s on sale, he sold 400 guns in 20 minutes. Why, it's as, it's as if the world has been turned upside down. Religion's promise is often fulfilled only when the tables are turned, when redemption reorders the world and salvation levels the playing field. It's when business as usual becomes none of our business. It's all about change. Now, I, for one, hope change is going to come. Last year was difficult for so many of us, and any improvement on the border or in the boardroom, on the battlefield or at the bargaining table, in political bipartisanship or interfaith cooperation, is welcome. Many of us also think that it is, it is essential, not only for our own survival, but for the entire planet and all that dwell therein. The environmental clock has hit midnight, and so many of us are asleep. But I'm in, I'm afraid we are in for more of the same or worse. Oh, oops, I'm on the wrong team, for me at least. You know, I learned so much from Marianne Williamson, and I resonate with her observations of an abiding sense of collective anxiety that has led to a collective depression among us, one that most of us choose to ignore or suppress, let alone talk about at the dinner table. It is more than a matter of just keeping a stiff upper lip when the survival of the world is at stake, Williamson believes. Rather, it is the sign of a society that is neither ready nor willing to have a conversation about its deepest pain. Only when we face our own darkness will we begin to see the light again. So again, I ask, which team are you on? Is change going to come? The short answer, and certainly the religious answer, is maybe yes and maybe no. Now, the liberal religious answer to the question is more burdensome. It all depends on us. 
Now, very few of us here this morning believe that the world and is all and only in the hands of the holy. More than a few of us believe that we are the hands and feet of the divine impulse, of the love that can set us free. Says Williamson, who we ourselves become, how we grow and change and face the challenges of our own lives is intimately and casually connected to how the world will change in the next few years. For the world, she says, is a projection of our individual psyches collected on a global screen. It is hurt or healed by every thought we think, to which I would add, and by every action we take or don't take. This, I think, is the crux of the matter. We don't think things can change for the better on a global scale because we are convinced that we cannot change where it matters most, in our heart of hearts, at the core of our being, in our mind's eye. Many of us find ourselves in an emotional rut or fighting physical or psychological addictions, no longer able to see a way out of the life we loathe. Today, today we ask the foundational questions. Is change really possible? Is this the year the world will change? Now, while today's news seems to indicate that we are in for more of the same, it is the nature of change itself that provides the key to its efficacy. Sorry about that. First change is serendipitous. It's a joyful surprise, a holy instant. Change may not come when you want it, but it is always right on time. We forget how often in this era, writes the late Howard Zinn, we have been astonished by the sudden crumbling of institutions, by extraordinary changes in people's thoughts, by the unexpected rebellion against tyrannies, by the quick collapse of systems of power that seemed invincible. In his wonderful essay, The Optimism of Uncertainty, Zinn chronicles the global changes that nobody could have expected or predicted in advance. They took the world by surprise and they exposed the limits of so-called superpowers in the world. Rosa Parks gets on a bus, tired and in need of a seat and knowing her rights. Who knew that Rosa's action would lead to a mass protest by black working people? Who knew that this change of events would rock the world and transform the South? Likewise, Nelson Mandela is imprisoned for life at Robben Island as South Africa's ruling class try to quench the spirit of a people that have only known apartheid. No way out of prison, Mandela 
and his fellow prisoners continue their quest for justice even when it was apparent they would never be released. But the prisoners smuggled messages and newspapers to each other on toilet paper. They sang freedom songs and maintained their dignity so that even the prison guards began to respect them. They believed in change in spite of and perhaps because of their circumstances. For 27 years in that prison, they made love their greatest aim, befriending their captors and calmly explaining their desire for equal rights and their plan for the redistribution of wealth. Mandela knew change was imminent when one of the guards, formerly brainwashed by the government's propaganda, scratched his head and said, it makes more bloody sense than the Nats, meaning the nationalists. Against all odds, in the face of utter hopelessness, the impossible occurs. Mandela is released from prison, and the prison of apartheid closes its doors forever. The prisoner becomes president, for the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The walls crumble in Berlin, and the meek inherit the earth beneath their feet. The Velvet Revolution brings down Czechoslovakia's dictatorship and replaces a power monger with a playwright. The poor in spirit finally have received their blessing. Gay marriage becomes law in all 50 states, so that now there is only marriage, marriage for all. Protests erupt in Hong Kong as students, students, mind you, are fighting for the last vestiges of democracy on an island held captive by communists. Keep an eye on this one. Change happens the instant we make the decision to change and is fulfilled when we stay the course no matter what. The alternative diminishes life, even to the point of death. So stay the course. Now don't try to tell me that change is not possible and that our Unitarian Universalist exemplars were all wrong. They were labeled heretics and many were burned alive at the stake for standing by their convictions. It's the only reason we are here today. We are always being challenged by world events, by the tides of history, to, to develop a more mature consciousness, to actively work for a world that will grow into harmony with all that is good. Our forefathers believed in human progress. Our foremothers knew that every change in life implies a question. Are you ready to embody what you say you believe? Are you ready to embody what you say you believe? That's the liberal religious approach to change. 
You know, it's not so much what happens to us in the midst of change, but what we do once it happens. The key to experiencing change's regenerative power lies in our ability to decide who we will become because of what happens to us. No, change may not come when you want it, but it is always right on time. That's an eternal truth to cling to and rely on when navigating change. Change happens in a holy instant. It is also just as likely to take place over time. As Mandela's 27 years of cell time attests. You know, that is what is confusing us about change. While change is inevitable, it is rarely predictable. In fact, we may not even know that our actions have contributed to changing the world once the change occurs. Paul Loeb tells a story that reminds me of how powerful a, move, a powerful movement, convicted and inspired by conviction, even when members of that movement may not know each other or may live in different places at different times. It is most often not the state of world affairs that compel us to action. Instead, it is our conviction that we are responsible for the change we seek. That's what gets us out of the house and into the streets. So Loeb's friend Lisa takes her children to a vigil outside the White House gates to protest nuclear testing. 100 women were huddled in pouring rain which only added to their feelings of frustration and powerlessness. A few years later, the movement against such testing grows dramatically, and Lisa attends a major march. The keynote speaker is Benjamin Spock, the baby doctor. Dr. Spock testifies before the thousands who have gathered about how he decided to take a stand to use his stature and influence to change the world. He explained that he had been in Washington, D.C. a few years earlier when he saw a small group of women huddled with their kids in the rain asking for the right to live in the face of impending nuclear annihilation. It was Lisa's group the good doctor explained to the throngs, I thought that if those women were out there, their cause must really be important. Now, had Lisa not been in attendance, she would have never known about her role in growing the anti-nuclear movement. And the good news is, it wouldn't have mattered. Change may not come when you want it, but it is always right on time. We don't always know the consequences of our actions, 
but we know that inaction can keep us from living a fully human life. The late Benjamin Mays, the minister, the scholar, and the activist who mentored Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, the tragedy of life doesn't lie in not reaching your goal. The tragedy lies in having no goal to reach. It isn't a calamity to die with dreams unfulfilled, but it is a calamity not to dream. It is not a disgrace not to reach the stars, but it is a disgrace to have no stars to reach for. It's convictions that matter. It is our convictions that encourage us to reach and to dream, to become the change that will change the world, even if the struggle outlives us, even if we cannot envision an end to the rule of tyrants or the rants of demagogues, even if we cannot foresee the outbreak of world peace, our convictions are what matter. Actions of conscience reveal the link between our faith and those of others. Every time we commit an intentional act of social justice, we are respecting and reinforcing the fundamental connections that make life possible. Dr. King called it an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. Our quality of life is, is tied directly to our ability to act in accordance with the interconnected web of life of which we are a part. To have convictions, we must know down deep what we believe. To know what we believe, we must learn the lessons that change teaches us. If we fail to grow from change, it's likely that we'll repeat the lesson through repeated change. But once learned, life's lessons form and shape and reshape the convictions that help us navigate the world and make life worth meaning. I can say without hesitation that I have never felt more alive than when I was arrested while protesting the passage of Proposition 8 in California when gay marriage was rescinded. I understood that my own fate was linked to countless others, some known to me and others unknown. I knew I was not alone and would never have to be alone again. It did not matter if my movement was restricted by cuffs and holding pens, for I was upholding the dignity of many whose rights had been denied. No longer in control of my own life, I was now free to live in the moment, which in reality is all we ever have anyway. I had found something to live for that was greater than my fear of detainment or death. 
So how do we begin to be the change that, we, that will change the world? We cannot all get arrested or serve time in prison or huddle in rain or lead a revolution. Some days just getting out of bed is a challenge for me. <laughs> My Unitarian Universalist colleague, the Reverend Victoria Safford, suggests that each day we should plant ourselves at the gates of hope, even in times or situations that scream pessimism, because with our lives, we make our answers all the time to this beautiful, ravenous, mutilated, gorgeous world. I think it also helps to plant ourselves among people who admit they don't know how things are going to turn out, but have decided to work for change anyway. We can always find men and women who care for the sick, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, and visit the prisoner. We can always join up with folk who are doing something, however small, in the hope that the world will change. When we plant ourselves at the gates of hope, change may come in an instant or it may happen over time. When we plant ourselves among people who care, we cannot help but be changed ourselves. You and I are among such folk today and the doors of this church are open to all who seek to be the change that will change the world. Change may not come when you want it, but it is always right on time. I close with the words of Adrian Rich, for they could be my own as well, and perhaps yours. My heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot with those who age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. Which team are you on? To the glory of life.